Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 through 16 says this, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. His disciples came and asked him, why do you use parables when you talk to the people? He replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. And that is why I use these parables. For they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. And this fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear. And they have closed their eyes, so their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. And so tonight, with the Lord's help, I'll minister from the thought, lost sheep, lost prayers. Praise God. Let's pray together over the remainder of this service. Lord Jesus, I praise you right now. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, that you would anoint my lips as I speak in faith the words that you said long ago. And I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, over the remainder of this service, Lord, that hearts would be moved with compassion, Lord Jesus, that we would be focused on what it is that you have called us to do, what it is that you have drawn us to do. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you would orchestrate the rest of this evening, put it together as you see fit, you know, every part and every piece, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. You can be seated. Praise God. I told Donald that I, I made a, a rookie mistake. I ate some salty food before I got up here tonight, and so, man, I'm gonna be hitting that water fairly often. I have a patient, and I'm just gonna call her Mrs. Keller. Mrs. Keller was an interesting lady. She was alive and living in London when the Nazis were bombing that city. And in her latter years, she spent her time at the senior center in Douglasville by the courthouse of all places. She came in to see me one day and she asked if I could help her with her very severe hearing loss. She was frustrated because she couldn't hear the other seniors that she was spending time with. Her complaints were as follows. She couldn't hear the person she was playing ping pong with. She couldn't hear the leader of the ARP meeting as she explained different benefits that were, they were talking about. She couldn't hear in the dining room because there was so much noise all around. And she couldn't even hear her own TV at home clearly. And at times she felt isolated. And at times she felt alone with her problems. And so as I listened to her and I began to take notes about the different difficulties that she had, I, I let her finish talking and I told her carefully 
that I would do my best to help her. I have a lot of great solutions in my office, and I thought, hopefully I can do some good here. So I tested her hearing and found she had a severe sensory neural hearing loss in both ears, which is a nerve damage loss. And so I told her that a sensory neural loss is permanent, it's progressive, and it's irreversible. There's nothing doctors can do about it. And as I continued testing, I found a bigger problem. I found that her word recognition was poor. And this is actually a worse problem than a severe sensory neural hearing loss. Why? Because it's really hard to fix. I told her that it was possible that she waited too long to get her first pair of hearing aids. Because I said, it's kinda like that old saying, if you don't use it, you lose it. And I said, when you have word recognition problems, it doesn't matter how loud the hearing aids are, you just can't understand what someone is saying. I might ask you to repeat the word felt and you say the word soap. So even though it's quiet and it's loud enough and you're concentrating and it's a comfortable level of listening, you still cannot understand. Well, she already had hearing aids when she came to me, but they were older. And so I told her about the latest technology. How many have been told about the latest technology in your life? I told her, I said, I can't make any promises, but it won't get any better with your current hearing aids. So let's try something new. And I said, if it isn't better than your current pair, you can bring these back for a refund. So we fit her with the best hearing aids money could buy. We took impressions of her ears and built custom power molds for her. They were a work of art when we fit them to her ears. They just slid in just right. And I fit her and I sent her out into a new world of power and technology. She was excited and I was excited. I wish I could tell you that Mrs. Keller came back happy. I wish I could tell you that we changed her life, but unfortunately, that was not the case. She came back a week later and said, John, it's a little better with TV, but I still can't hear well at the senior center. I said, all right, well, we'll make some adjustments, and, and so I took some measurements. We put some probe mics in her ears with the hearing aids so we could see what the hearing aids were doing inside of her ears and, and were they actually uh, hitting the targets that they needed to hit. And we did all kinds of things over the next number of weeks, but to no avail. They were better than her old aids, and so she kept them, but it was a source of frustration. I felt terrible for her, and I did everything I could for her. 
I could compensate for the nerve damage loss. I just couldn't fix her ability to recognize words. I couldn't fix her understanding. And it's interesting because one of the most common complaints that someone with a severe hearing loss says who really can't hear well is the frustration of having someone talking to them but simply cannot understand what that person is saying to them. Are there any witnesses in here? I had a gentleman one time, as I was conversing with him, I was just talking, and this was somebody that I uh, was kind of distantly related to, and, and so I was just meeting them for the first time, and I was having a conversation, and this was a pretty interesting guy. I, I thought this will you know, be a good conversation, and I like to hear about what people are doing. I like to hear about the kind of work that they do. I'm interested in that. And so I was asking him these kinds of questions. And, um, and so I probably got in just a couple of, of, of questions to him. And um, I was getting ready to finish one question. And right in the middle of my question, he just turned and walked away. And I thought, man, that was so strange. You know, and I don't think he was trying to be rude. I don't think that he was trying to slight me in any way. But he walked away in the middle of my question. I found out later he had a severe hearing loss from working in coal mines. And he was kind of trying to hide it. And so rather than try to face an awkward question that he couldn't understand, he just departed. It was great. <laughs> you know, Jesus, of course, was not talking about physical hearing loss in this passage. He was talking about their ability to hear and understand spiritual things about the kingdom of God. But I couldn't help but see Mrs. Keller sitting in that senior center, able to hear the sound of a voice, but unable to understand eventually tuning everyone out in frustration. She was effectively lost without the ability to hear and understand. And so when we talk about the lost, we are close to the heart of God since that's the very reason that he came to the earth. Luke 19, 10 says, for the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Jesus himself came to the children of Israel and he sent his apostles to the lost sheep of the house of Israel while he was alive. We now apply those words of lost sheep to anyone who is lost without Christ, even though at the time that Jesus said this, he was referring to the lost sheep of Israel. As we prepare for our annual World Missions Conference coming up later this month, it seems right and good to speak in that vein this evening. And so with the Lord's help, I wanna single out a particular angle. Just reading Matthew 13, 15 again. For the hearts of these people are hardened. 
and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes so that they, their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. You know, here in America, the name of Jesus is known. Amen? It's known. I saw a picture just the other day on Facebook from some of the people at General Conference, and some airplane had flown over Disney World and had written in the sky, Jesus. So I, I have to say that if you have been in America for very long or any length of time, you're gonna hear it and see it somewhere. Somebody will say the Lord's name in vain at the very least. Yet people are not flooding churches. Why not? When Jesus was out walking this earth, there was this battle going on that is so interesting to watch play out in scripture. He would perform a miracle. People would witness it. Some would be so excited, but some would be unable to rejoice about it because he healed on the Sabbath or he said to the person that their sins were forgiven. And that was a bad deal. I mean, you can't just forgive who is this guy that he can forgive sins? And so even though people were witnessing something miraculous that they may never have seen before, they couldn't buy into it. They couldn't believe in him. And that is still happening today. We walk around in this world as living evidence. You and I, we are living evidence of the very power of God, proof that a life is changed. But instead of people seeing that as miraculous, they see it as a lifestyle choice. You do me, I'm sorry. You do you, now I'll do me. We don't live our life for Christ because it seems like a good way to live. We live our life for Christ because we were in bondage to sin. We were in bondage to addictions and something supernatural happened in our conversions. We felt it when the love of Jesus changed us. I've heard story after story of people who walked into church and felt something they never felt before. I know one lady will tell you that a series of supernatural things happened that led up to her being baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. I baptized someone recently who said they came to church because they wanted to get closer to God. The very power and presence of God came close to that person all through service, culminating in a baptism of water and spirit. And so maybe outsiders think, well, John, perhaps that was just emotion, and we talk about that sometimes. And I just have to say, you know, was it, though, was it really emotion? Or was it more like what Cleopas and whoever was with him experienced on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24 when they talked with Jesus 
They didn't know that it was Jesus that they were talking with. And then he appeared to them, and then once they realized it was Jesus, he disappeared. And then they said to one another, they said, did not our hearts burn within us while he was talking to us? That's what we've experienced when we come into the house of God as we are being drawn by the very spirit of God. Many of us have experienced healing, deliverance from addictions, miracles in our finances, situations that have been resolved miraculously, and yet there are those around us who have been unable to hear what we are saying to them, unable to see. Could some of it be our approach to those people? Certainly, that's possible. I am not the most easy to, um, I can be a bit direct, let's just say it that way. So maybe my approach could be a little bit off-putting sometimes. So certainly that's possible. But the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses three through four, if the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Wait, John, it says those who don't believe. I get that. So, but what about all the people who believe in God? Well, I go back to my text where Jesus says to the Jewish people who to themselves believed in God. For the hearts of these people are hardened and their ears cannot hear and they have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear and their hearts cannot understand and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. So on one hand, we have those who don't believe and, and, and having their minds blinded by Satan. And on the other side, we have believers who have hearts that are hardened, eyes that cannot see, and ears that cannot hear. Well, wh what else are we dealing with? You're gonna love this. Let's read Matthew chapter 13, verses three through eight. Still in Matthew 13. He told many stories in the form of parables such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on the footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because their soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, and still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. And then Jesus explains the parable to his disciples in beginning in verse 18. He says, now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seeds that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. 
Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among thorns represents those who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. So some fell on the footpath, as the King James says, or, the, or by the wayside is what the King James says. Some fell on stony places, some fell among thorns, and some fell on good ground. So Jesus is telling us that in addition to the issues with lost sheep having hardened hearts, not hearing and not seeing, and in addition to what Paul says about unbelievers' minds being blinded by Satan, even those who do hear the message, three-fourths of them aren't gonna grow and produce fruit. My goodness, Lord, it seems like the fact that we're even here tonight is a miracle. <laughs> so what can we do? As Louis L'Amour so often would write in his books, Sounds like you're bucking a stacked deck. How can we reach people in a world where the odds are stacked against us? When there is pressure in the workplace not to push our beliefs off on people who don't want to hear about them. Where we fight against our own innate desires to be accepted, find favor with our colleagues, makes it difficult to even have a conversation. So then, even when we do talk with them, if we are met with the resistance as I described earlier, it just takes the steam out of us. So what can we do? Now, I have no doubt that if I go around the room, most of all of us have had conversations about Jesus with people you are in contact with at least once. How can we not? Our whole lives revolve around living for him. I'm gonna share something that has happened recently to me, and I believe that it's, it's something that happened from the Lord, and I really like practical application for Christian life, and, and so what I'm about to share with you may not be your situation but it might apply in your story as well. So this is from my own prayer journey. And I just wanna say this. This is a side note, and I felt to kind of insert this. If you're wondering about a place to find people who are hungry to know more about God, how many of you would raise your hand and say you met someone like that right here in our church on a Sunday or Wednesday night? Would you raise your hand if you've met somebody in this place that they wanted to know more about God? They wanted to know more 
about who he is. They want a deeper relationship. You found hungry people right in our, in our chairs, in our pews. We don't have pews anymore. But. So John, they're already here in the church. All they have to do is know more, to know more, is to keep coming to our church. Read the messenger or ask someone about the questions that they have. But I would say this, in our culture, three things are often true. We don't like to impose on other people, we don't like to draw attention to ourselves, and a lot of times we keep a default mask on to people we don't know about the condition of our heart. So we need to continue to reach people here in our church who visit our church, and if you've ever personally felt alone or disconnected in a church you've attended in your life, Let's remember that feeling and let it motivate us to help someone else get plugged in. We can't possibly connect with everyone, but we can connect with someone. Praise God. So, what can we do about the challenges we face to reach lost people? And so, there's probably an exhaustive list, but I'm gonna focus on just three things for tonight's message. The first thing that we can remember is that God is working on every individual in the world many times in ways that we cannot see because he is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Secondly, we can pray for them with compassion. And third, we can tell people that we are praying for, that we're praying for, that we're praying for them. Because it's like a gift, right? Not many people will re refuse your prayers. Has anyone had any success getting somebody to maybe open up a little bit by using an approach like this? Anybody had any success? Praying for people, letting them know you're praying for them, and they begin to open up to you. It can be a very effective tool. But let's dig into these things a little bit. Remembering that God is working on people behind the scenes, <clears throat> it's really a lifelong way of thinking about everyone in general. Jesus often used the analogy of growing things when describing the kingdom of God. Seed growing, a mustard seed growing into a tree a vine with branches that bring forth fruit. It's a process. And we have to ask ourselves, though, what is God doing in that person? What has he done already? What have they gone through that pre prepared them for moving toward an altar of repentance? And what experiences have they already had with Christ? Secondly, we can pray for people with compassion. Now, personally, I like this part a lot because no one can do anything about it. They don't have to like what I pray and they don't have to hear what I pray. They aren't open, no problem, I'm praying. They don't seem remotely interested in living a life for Jesus, no problem, I'm praying. 
I had been praying almost daily for my coworkers for a while, uncertain about the right way to pray. And, and I say that because there's a part of me that you know, wants to make sure that, that what I pray is, is in fact the, a, a good way to say it. Now that may not be something you care about. You might say to yourself, well God knows what I mean. And, 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 and he does. Right, but you know, for me, I like it when I can find the right thing to pray. And so I remember sitting in a service recently when Brother Reyes, our Spanish pastor, was preaching. And he preached a message about the book of life. And a bolt of lightning struck in my mind as I was sitting in that service and I thought, that's it. Those are the words I need to pray for my colleagues. So I begin to pray, Lord, I pray for this coworker, I pray for their spouse, I'll name their kids, and I pray that their names would be written in the book of life. It doesn't get any clearer, it doesn't get any more straightforward than that. You know, it's a tall order for some people. That's actually a really big prayer. <laughs> There's a potentially a lot that needs to happen <laughs> for that to take place. But as Brother Kevin quoted earlier, if the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, then who knows what will happen when I pray something like that. You know, and as you pray for people, that you are in contact with, the Lord will grant revelation for your prayers. I think he enjoys the interaction immensely as he kind of leads us in prayer, as he kind of leads us towards the things that he wants us to pray about. And so, <clears throat> this is something that, that bothers me, and I'm sorry about it, I can't help it. It's just something that bothers me. You know, as I read through the scripture, especially through the gospels, I like to read the gospels because I really like to, to take in what Jesus is saying. I really wanna know it, I wanna hear it, I wanna let those words sink in and then I wanna look at it again and see if I see something different. I like it. But the one thing that bothers me is that Jesus always knows the exact right thing to say. Now, I kind of have a problem with that. You know, he walks up to somebody, it doesn't matter who they are, and he knows whether to bust their chops or love them and have compassion on them. He knows the exact right things to say. And I've said to the Lord, God, I don't even wanna say anything to people if I can't say what you wanna say to them. Well, we'll leave that. I'm excited to say that some things have been happening at work that surprised me since I started praying persistently for my colleagues like this. About five or six weeks ago, I was walking out of the, the door of my office to leave. And I said to my coworkers, and I had said it before, I just want y'all to know that I'm praying for you and I'm praying for your families. Because 
I really was praying for them. It wasn't a lie, uh, and, I, and they never asked me to. So this was what was crazy. A coworker who had been angry with me for how I handled a COVID situation, even though I was just following my supervisor's advice and instruction on a particular situation. This particular coworker, we'd moved on, but this was the kind of relationship that we got off on the wrong foot, if you, you could say. But she says to me, she says, you know, we should pray here in the office in the mornings when you're here. And I said, sure, that would be great. I walked out of the office and I was like, what? Did that just happen? So I work every Wednesday. So the next week I get to work and I'm ready, right? You're ready, right? If, you get, if God opens the door, you're ready. You're ready to go. I was ready to go. And I got to work and surprise, surprise, my supervisor was there with a new hire. I was like, man, you know, how am I gonna do this? How are we gonna have prayer before work? You know, I've got, you know, he's here. He's like, I don't care. God opened the door, so I'm gonna go and I'm going to, uh, we're gonna try to move forward. So I walk to the front and I tell everyone. I say, you don't have to come, but we're gonna have prayer this morning for those who want to. So people started coming to the back office and I thought because I caught everybody off guard that maybe not everyone would come. But that's not what happened. Everyone came. So I had felt to start with the Lord's Prayer. I don't know why that came to mind, but I just, you know, this is gonna be something that's familiar to people, and it's a powerful prayer. Jesus prayed it. That's what he said to do he, when he was teaching his, his, his disciples how to pray. So it's a good place to start. So I start with the Lord's Prayer, and I start quoting it, and I hear my supervisor Start quoting it with me. And one other person. And I'm floored. I finish praying and we get to work. And since then, I've had the opportunity to talk about baptism in the name of Jesus with one of my coworkers who really is a follower of Christ to the best of his ability. I get to work last Wednesday and one of them says, you know, I was talking to someone the other night about some religious things and I thought maybe we could come early on Wednesday and we could discuss some of my questions. So of course, well, so I was there early today. <laughs> now, unfortunately that coworker had a back problem. She wasn't there. We still prayed and we prayed for her and we prayed for some other things that were going on, and it was just really cool. But something interesting happened today. My supervisor came in with his two supervisors. And so he greets me, and he hugs me. <laughs> and I don't recall him doing that before. I told my coworker, I was like, I don't know if they had a few drinks at lunch, but I don't know. But the first thing he does 
is he comes in my office with these two supervisors and tells me, he said, I just told them about how the last time I was here, we prayed together before the workday. I was like, of all things to tell them. So I say all that to say this story is unfolding and I don't know what's gonna happen. But I do know that with what we are up against in the world today and with the struggles I know many of us face when we reach out to people, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And so I'm saying, if you aren't already, pray lost prayers for the lost sheep and unbelievers in your life. And if the musicians would come. Of course, the main thing is that prayer can ultimately open the door to action. Prayer also gives you confidence and boldness when an opportunity comes up. Your story of the people you are reaching and wanting to reach may be different, but if we're going to reach unbelievers through the blindness of the mind that Satan has them under, let's pray the prayers that set the stage. If we're gonna reach the lost sheep of the church, let's pray the prayers that set the stage. Jesus told us that some lost sheep can't hear, can't see, and their hearts are hardened. He also told us that even the ones that can hear, three-fourths of them aren't gonna produce fruit. It sounds pretty bleak. Yet in spite of this, Jesus said in Luke 10 and 2, therefore he said unto them, the harvest truly is great but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Jesus is letting us know there are a lot of people that we can reach. Many have their minds blinded or a hearing problem. How can we find out who is listening? Jesus gives us a, a really straightforward command and he tells us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And that's a pretty tall order. That's a big statement. So we have to start somewhere and we can start with prayer. And pray daily if you can. Pick some people out and just pray for them every day. And then tell them that you're praying for them.